What would you think of a preacher who talked more about money than eternity? Talked more about wealth than salvation? More about money than prayer or even faith? Would you attend that church of that pastor? Before you answer, let me inform you that this preacher is Jesus Christ. And the church he pastors consists of every single man, woman, boy, or girl who call themselves Christians. I imagine that if Jesus would start a church in Fort Wayne, there would be thousands of people who would come to hear his great teaching. I imagine if Jesus had a church here physically in Fort Wayne where he was physically uh, there preaching and teaching that thousands would come to see his miracles and the healings that would take place. But I wonder how many people would stick around to hear Jesus' call to give everything they have to follow him. Why did Jesus talk more about money than any other subject? I believe it's because he knew that where our treasure is, our heart will also be. You find those words that Jesus gives in Matthew 6.21. Jesus knew that it's the last stop, the last holding thing in our life of self-centered pride that finds its refuge, not in our mind, not in our heart, but the last foothold is in our possessions, in our wallet. People today, I think, are very skeptical and they're, they're biased about this teaching that Jesus gives. I think in light of some highly publicized financial scandals of some mistrusted leaders in church work somewhere, they have written off the whole idea that God has anything to say to them about money. It's unfortunate because I believe that God is not teaching us these things to get something from us, but to give something to us. Let's pause this morning and ask God to open our hearts and minds as we go to his word as Jesus teaches about money. Father, I pray that you would help us not just hear man's words today, but you would help us press into your word and to hear your very spirit speak to us from the scriptures. Thank you, Jesus, in advance for the encounter that we're going to have with you in the Word. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we conclude this series, Jesus said what? We're looking at things that Jesus said that just don't appear to make a whole lot of sense, at least to our culture. And if we're honest, sometimes to us who, who are putting our faith and trust in Jesus, we go, I don't really know what to do with this saying. And today, the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 25. It brings us to one of the most famous of the hard sayings of Jesus that no doubt many of us have not only heard before, but we've probably pondered and thought about this verse with some great length and great detail. Mark chapter 10, verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. These words follow an encounter that Jesus had with a rich young ruler who came asking him how to inherit eternal life. Jesus commends him for all the good that he has done, the good deeds that he has done, but he gets to the real heart of the issue and he tells this 
young ruler, there's one thing that you lack. He says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will receive treasure in heaven. When this young man is unwilling to do what Jesus instructs him to do, Jesus comments to his disciples and he says, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He follows that with the words that we just read from Mark 10, 25. The fact that all three of the synoptic gospels include this portion in scripture only reinforces how important this was in Jesus' teaching in his ministry. The fact that you and I live in one of the wealthiest nations on earth reinforces how important this truth is for us to get in our culture and our context today. You say, I'm not rich. Friend, just by living in the United States, regardless of your income level here, you are in the highest percentile of wealth. 90% of the world's population has less than you do just because you are an American citizen, just because you live here in our culture and our context. F.F. Bruce observes, there's probably no saying of Jesus which is harder in the Western mind today than the saying about the camel and the needle's eye, none which carries with it such a strong temptation to tone it down. I love Bruce's words there. I think it's so true. We have a temptation to read this scripture and go, well, there's got to be some kind of secret knowledge to this. And it can't really be what Jesus is saying at face value. Let's water it down. Let's tone it down. Let's make it a little bit more palatable for us today. I've heard all kinds of interpretations of this verse. I think some attempting to water it down, trying to warn us of how this really doesn't apply to us with its full force. There's been things that's been written and shared where it's been said, well, the eye of a needle is a metaphor for a small city gate, and it would be difficult for a camel to pass through that city gate. Unfortunately, as interesting as that theory is, there's very little, if, if no, evidence to support this theory. Others maintain that the Greek word for cable is very close to camel, and so the translators got it wrong. And what Jesus was really saying is, it's easier for a cable to go through the eye of a needle. In essence, what Jesus was trying to say, they think, is that it's, it's easier to get a rope through an eye of a needle than a rich man, trying to bring it down to size and, and kind of water it down a little bit. But simply, these are attempts to deflect from us the real purpose of Jesus' ridiculous hyperbole in this statement. It is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Humanly impossible. We don't have the luxury of watering down Jesus' words to try to make them fit what we want them to say. Jesus said this, and we need to see what he is trying to communicate, not only to the original hearers, but what he is communicating to us today. Jesus goes on to say in Mark 10, 27, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This emphasis is on a rich man, a wealthy man, a rich woman, a wealthy woman. It's impossible for them to get into the kingdom of heaven, but with God all things are possible. 
For a rich man, for a wealthy woman, so many things in life ahead of them, doors fling open. They can provide for themselves. They see a problem, they can fix it. And the attitude, the thought is, because of what I have, because of what I own, because of what I have achieved, surely I can work my way into heaven. Surely I can get into heaven. And Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle. It is humanly impossible. But... With God, all things are possible. That gives us some hope this morning. But it requires this dependency upon God and His Spirit. To help us see the issue that Jesus is getting at here, let's look at another story He told in Luke chapter 12. Turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 12. It's not a story about a rich young man, but about a rich fool. I'll be reading verse 13 through 21. Of chapter 12 of Luke's gospel. Then someone called from the crowd. Teacher please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus who was just interrupted replied. Friend who made me judge over you to decide such things as this. Then he said beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I have no room for all my crops. Verse 18. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Right in the midst of Jesus' teaching, Jesus is interrupted by this brash, bold request. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Where does this come from? Jesus hadn't been talking about money. This was not the topic he was on. Evidently, this person in the crowd was not really listening to Jesus. He was intent on getting his way, getting what he desired out of Jesus. He had a selfish agenda. He was determined to get what he came for. He reminds me of a lot of us. We're just like that man. In this country that is saturated with the material abundance and attitude so many of our requests sound like this man's interruption to jesus god give me this god i need that god i i I strongly suggest in fact some would be as arrogant to say i demand that you give me blank interrupting god with our own agenda of what it is we feel like we have to have now notice what jesus says man who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you He passes on the request to speak to that issue, but he zeroes in on the man's heart issue, his heart motive. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. See, Jesus perceived that the issue here was not about the inheritance. It was about greed. He wanted to drive this point home, so Jesus tells them a story of a rich fool. I suggest today that we can identify with this rich fool more than we would like to admit. 
One author notes, we spend money we do not have to buy things that we do not need to impress people that we really don't like. I like that thought. It's sobering, and it's far too often true. No wonder Jesus calls anyone who lives that way a fool. Let me ask the question this way. Do you have things, or are they beginning to have you? The problem is not in having things. The problem is when they begin to take ownership of us. This is not a new thought for most of us here. We've been impacted with this thought before, but let's take it in and look at our own life. Is this evidenced in our life? God doesn't call this man a fool because he is rich or because he has a bumper crop. On the contrary, it was a God-given ability For the rain to come, for the sun to shine that enabled this wealth to be gained in the first place. He knew the laws of cultivation. He respected them. He allowed them to work. And as a result, this bumper crop was a wealth given to him. That was not why he was foolish. That was why he was wise. See, he was a good cultivator, but he was a horrible calculator. He was a good sower, but he was a horrible steward. He had a fat stomach, but he had a lead soul. The world might call him a success because of what he had achieved, but Jesus called him a failure. He's not a fool because of what he had, but he was a fool because they began to possess him. His things began to have him. Notice the self-centeredness of his words in verse 17 through 19. Look at that as I read it. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Eleven times or so in these three verses, he refers to himself. He's pretty impressed with himself. This man is consumed with his self, with his own needs, with his own comfort, with his own plans. This self-centeredness led him to some terrible assumptions. And this morning I want us to look at four of these assumptions that this rich fool has made that we need to learn from to catch Jesus' words and what they really mean And when he talks about a camel and a rich guy. First, this fool had a terrible assumption. He thought that bigger barns would make a better life. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. This man assumed that there was no place for his bumper crop except in a bigger barn. A fool asked where he can stow away his money, but a wise man asked how the money can serve God, how he can invest in a kingdom that lasts forever. Remember the parable of the talent? Remember the master rebuking the one with the one talent, that servant, because he buried the talent. As a result, he lost what was given to him. I've seen this scenario many times over. There's people who say, God, if you'll just get me through this financial crisis, if you'll just get me through this season of life, if you'll just get me through this this lack of work right now, I'll begin to give the way you want me to. I'll begin to tithe the way you want me to if you just get me through this moment. And, And often God does show up. And often God does provide, and then our barns begin to fill up, and and it's not too long until they begin to overflow again, but our heart towards giving seems to never change. 
our heart begins to accumulate more and more and more stuff. Why is it that we feel like when the Lord blesses us that it must belong to our own personal benefit? Do you think that God maybe has blessed you with a resource that's not for your own barn? It's just a thought. Not too long ago, the Wall Street Journal reported that over the last 15 years, giving to charitable organizations has increased by 1%, while personal debt service has increased 500%. We are constantly bombarded with this pressure for more, for bigger, to get more and to have more. I remember my grandfather talking about Coke that he had in a bottle. And he got some of us a Coke bottle for Christmas one year before he went to heaven. And I remember being thankful, but I took a drink and I thought, there's like three ounces in this thing. What's the deal? And in our society, we no longer could say that eight ounces is enough. You know, you get to 12 ounces and 16 ounces, and then, you know, the big gulp comes, 32 ounces. I don't think we have 7-Eleven around here anymore, but the big gulp has left its impact on our culture. And pretty soon the big gulp is not enough, and then we need to have the supersized gulp and, and 40 ounces, and, and we all can fall into this. And, and, and I fall into this. One of my favorites, I've just discovered at Lassus, it, it, it's the super huge, crazy big gulp. 52 ounces of Diet Mountain Dew! More than anybody should ever consume. Bigger is better, more is better, and, and, and my eyes lit up when I found the attendant told me that they charge the same price for 52 ounces that they do for 32 ounces. I mean, it's a no-brainer. More is better. Well, what is next? Do we have a five-gallon bucket with two handles that we go in and fill up? Our culture is inundated that bigger is better, more is obviously what we have to have. But this is not at the heart of what Jesus is teaching. Jesus makes the case that bigger is not always better. In fact, when culture says you need to have upward mobility, gain more, get more, do more, Jesus says, why don't you take a look at downward mobility? John Wesley, one of our founding fathers in our faith tradition, resisted this selfish pull of upward mobility. And he ordered his life according to the principles he found in Scripture. While living in England, he records in his journal that one year his income was 30 pounds. And his living expenses were 27 pounds. So he had 3 pounds left over to give away, exactly 10%. The next year his income had doubled. Yet he continued to live on only 27 pounds. And so he had 33 pounds to give away, more than what he lived on himself. The third year, he reports, his income jumped to 90 pounds. Instead of assuming that that meant a bigger barn for himself, he kept his expenses to a modest increase from 27 to 28 pounds, and he had 62 pounds to give away. It's not hard to understand why God would entrust so much of his kingdom to a man who bought into the principles he found in Scripture. Wesley believed that Jesus taught that an increase of income does not necessarily call for an increase of standard of living, but it always calls for an increase of standard of giving. That's what Wesley lived out. There's a second false assumption that this rich fool that Jesus is talking about has. 
jot it down, he thought that more things made a happier life. That was his assumption. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years, he said to himself. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This fool thought that his wealth would be a comfort to him. He assumed it would free him, not only financially, but in every other area and care he had in his life. John Rockefeller was the richest man in the world in his day, and when asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy, Rockefeller answered, a little bit more. The effects of all of us wanting more and more and more impact us more than we want to admit. More things add more responsibility, add more weight, and more work. For example, if you were to buy a boat for you and your family to enjoy, to have fun and relaxation with them, you've bought the boat, now you have to buy a trailer. Once you have the trailer, you need to buy a new hitch for the bumper of your vehicle. You have to buy insurance to protect the boat, registration and license to use the boat, time and money to store the boat, energy and money to have maintenance done on the boat, and the frustration after all that when the boat doesn't start in the middle of the lake, you need another vacation on top of the vacation you tried to have with the boat. It can be frustrating. I get it, Pastor. What you're saying is if you have a boat, you're going to hell. No. What you're saying, Pastor, is that Christians can't have a boat. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is so many of the possessions we have, we do not count the cost of ownership. And I don't just mean the financial cost. I mean the effort and the energy to try to hang on to what it is we have finally achieved. Jesus is saying, for someone who is a rich man in their own strength, it is impossible to live in the kingdom of God. But with all things, it is possible with God. He can allow even a rich man who is so cluttered by the stuff he has to see what it looks like to live a kingdom life. Another false assumption that this rich fool had was he lived for this life, ignorant of the next. Verse 20, Jesus says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? When you fall in love with things of this world... You're only thinking about this world. I like how the King James translates verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Since when does your soul need food? Since when does your soul need drink? Since when does your soul need sleep? This person's perspective was so skewed by their love for worldly things that they thought their very soul could be satisfied by the things of this world. Don't miss this, friend. Soul cravings can never be fulfilled by earthly stuff. After all, you can't take those things with you. You've probably heard the cute saying said that you never see a hearse in a funeral possession pulling a U-Haul trailer. You can't take your stuff with you. You you can't take all those possessions when you go into eternity. But your soul has an eternal spirit, 
has infinite value and and you can replace your barns here on earth, your car here on earth, your job here on earth, your bank accounts here on earth, your kidney, your liver, liver here on earth, even your heart can be replaced here on earth, but your soul can never be replaced. And it goes on for eternity. It's more valuable than anything else in your life. Imagine what Jesus is trying to say. Be careful of stuff owning you. What does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world but lose his soul? That's a great question that Jesus asks to us. The answer is obvious. There is nothing, zero, nada, no gain is worth losing my own soul. Jesus is challenging us to live this life in light of the next. Don't turn there, but maybe jot in your notes for future study. Hebrews 11 is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. You find all the way through there, it says, By faith, this person lived for God. By faith, this person did this. By faith, another person did this. And then right smack dab in the middle of all these, by faith, by faith, it says, These people did not receive the things promised to them here on earth. That stinks. They were promised by God and they didn't receive them. But they welcomed them from a distance. And they lived and acknowledged that they were foreigners and strangers in this land. Jesus is saying, if you get so comfortable here, if your whole life is wrapped up in what you gain, what you possess, what you have in this earthly mindset, you will lose your whole soul. But begin to live and invest in something that is eternal. Easier for a rich or for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven, Jesus says. In his own strength, he or she cannot do it, but with God, all things are possible. Finally, this rich fool invested in his kingdom and ignored God's. Jesus says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. This man took God right out of his finances. Leaving God out of your finances is foolish because you're the one who suffers the most. We are to give to God with priority and percentage, allowing God to take the first of what comes in and set a percentage to honor him by. We're going to talk about this in in weeks to come in the new year. And it's not about what God wants to get from you. It's about what God wants to give to you and prevent from happening in your life where things begin to own you. If Rockefeller could not get enough stuff that the only way he could be satisfied is to have a little bit more, what makes you think that you and I are any different Sometimes we look at people who have more than we do and we say, you know what, I know that wealth can cause problems, but I'm ready to try their problems on for a while and let them try my problems. Friend, if we just stop and look at the globe and recognize that every single person in here lives as kings and queens compared to the rest of the population on earth. And now ask yourself, could you handle an extra thousand bucks? Are you just so chock full of cash you wouldn't know what to do with it? Most of us would say, I could think of about ten things I could do right now. God is saying, don't let your heart be driven by stuff. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Matthew chapter 6, 
Turn with me there as we come to the end of our teaching time. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking in verse 21. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Today I give this message not as a word of condemnation or to speak shame to anyone. This is a message of hope today. Jesus is saying, I've given you a principle, and it's not only going to help you investigate. If you want to know where your heart is, figure out where your treasure is. And so if you want to know what's going on in your heart, you just look what's going on here. You find this when you locate where this is going. But it's not just to help you uncover some things. It's a prescription for help. Some of us, if we're honest, we say, okay, I see that Jesus is saying that greed shouldn't take hold of me and I should be a giver. But if I'm honest, pastor, I just don't, I don't want to give. So I'm going to ask God to help me want to give before I give. I'm going to ask God to give me some abundance and blessing so then I'll feel like being abundantly a blessing to somebody else. That's not what Jesus says in Scripture. He says it's exactly opposite. It is a law, it is a truth that you can't break. You want your heart to go to the things of the kingdom? You want your heart to be thankful this Thanksgiving? You want your heart to be generous? You want your heart to be in the things of the kingdom of God? It's easy. All you have to do, take this, put it where you want your heart to go, and it's not too long till your heart shows up. I knew it, Pastor. Knew you are going to use the T word and start talking about tithing and ticks me off when pastors talk about that as i started wonder what you'd think of a preacher who would talk more about money than he would about eternity or salvation or prayer or or faith jesus talks so much about money not because he's wanting something from us but he sees the human condition of a heart curved in towards itself that says give me more 52 ounces of diet mountain dew is not enough You know, when I had bronchitis a week or two ago, I I felt convicted and I asked my doctor about the the Mountain Dew consumption in my life. And he said, oh, Brady, if if you're just having a a can a week, there's no problem. (laughs) I confess the pattern, habit, or addiction, and he says, oh, you're done with that right now. (laughs) It's amazing the kind of Problems we get ourselves into by stockpiling for ourselves. It's not just teeth that rot and systems in your body that get clogged. Jesus is saying you miss the joy of being dependent on me and seeing the provision I have for you. God wants to bless us with so much and counts on us not stockpiling in our own barn, but being quick to say, God, where can I invest in your kingdom? I'm going to ask that our musicians come and as we get ready to close in prayer. I believe there may be some here today, not out of shame or guilt that's not from the Lord, but out of hope that you want the joy that God has for you in giving. You want the joy that God has for you in living a life that's not just Thanksgiving one time a year, but I'm going to live with a thankful heart. He said, Pastor, I want my heart to be there, but i got to be honest, it's not quite there yet. Don't try to get your heart there. You put your treasure there and your heart shows up. Well, Pastor, 
you know, I just want to pray at my seat. You know, we can pray anywhere. God will hear us. You can pray at your seat. But there's something that happens when we put feet to our faith and we make a public declaration that, God, I'm seeking you now in this area. Well, what will people think of me? They'll probably think that you're obeying God and you're getting in on an eternal principle that's the best decision you could ever make. See, the enemy right now is speaking lies to many of us. That pastor just wants money from me. Friend, this is not about anything you give to me or to Grace Point. This is about a principle that God wants to do in your life for you. It's not what he wants from you. It's what he wants for you. But as long as we hoard and stockpile, we will never be satisfied. We'll want more. We'll want buckets with handles. We'll try to find new ways to carry more than what we should ever try to consume. But God is saying today, it's not of your riches or wealth or what you've owned or controlled or possessed that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's by God himself with all things are possible. Friend, we heard a sister already this morning talk about how God showed up in her life when she felt alone. This is not a money thing. This is not even solely a greed thing. This is an ownership thing with who owns our life and our resources. If God is speaking to you today, I want to encourage you to come and meet me at the altar. And let's pray and have victory together in what God wants to do in our life. If God's speaking to you as we sing, don't wait for anybody. You come and we're going to pray together. Let's do that now.